Good morning. So good to see you. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, I will introduce you to myself in a moment, but first I'd like you to meet this man. This is Scott Ginsberg. Scott has worn a name tag like this every single day of his life since November 2nd in the year 2000. That's 8,000 consecutive days of wearing a name tag. It'll be 22 years this fall. You want to talk about an unsung hero? His parents must be so proud of him. He's a Guinness World Record holder for wearing a name tag for the longest number of days. He originally did it to see if people would be friendlier to him, and Scott estimates that somewhere between three and four strangers per day come up and introduce themselves to him simply because he's wearing a name tag. In 2005, he doubled down, true story, and got a name tag tattooed on his chest. So he literally wears a name tag 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I told you, he is an unsung hero. Of course, he's built a successful business out of this little scheme. Books and blogs and podcasts and consulting gigs and speaking engagements. And the true measure of modern success, Scott has given a TED Talk. He is considered to be the world's foremost expert on name tags. Hello, my name is John. And I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary. If we haven't met, I'd love to meet you after the service and learn your name. I was so happy that Pastor Zach from the Thornton campus could be here last week. I switched places with him and got to speak in Thornton. It's amazing to see the numbers of new people who are coming to the Thornton campus and to get a chance to meet them. It's a joy to be there. That's right. I'm so proud of Zach and his team. They're doing an outstanding job of meeting new people and connecting them into the life of Calvary. It's cool too to see people even who used to attend the Boulder campus that now live closer to the Thornton campus and attend there regularly. It just feels like you're at Calvary in Thornton. I was a little disappointed though to miss Sunday Funday here last week, which I heard was outstanding. And you all set some sort of record for the number of ice cream scoops that were consumed from the Moomobile. So clearly I need to do a better job of planning when I will be away from the Boulder campus in the future. We're in a series this summer called Unsung Heroes, where perhaps we're learning the names of some less familiar characters in the Bible and noticing unfamiliar acts of faith, which we hope this summer we might learn to imitate. The name of the person I'd like to look at with you today is found in a long list of names, a genealogy, a family tree. The Bible's filled with genealogies, both in the Old Testament and the New. There's something like 25 of them in the scriptures, and the longest one of them is found in the book of First Chronicles, which is in the Old Testament. Chapters 1 through 9 of First Chronicles are essentially just a list of names. There's like 500 of them in a row. Many names you've probably heard of, names like Adam, and other famous names are in the list, names like Noah and Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, David. But then in the middle of all of those famous names is this one, Jabez. 
And what's notable about the name of Jabez in this long list of names that spans more than a thousand years of history amongst all of these famous people is that Jabez is virtually the only name that has any detail about him aside from simply his name being listed. These opening chapters of First Chronicles, if we're being honest, are the ones that I think many of us skip over if we come upon them in our devotional reading plan. I mean, chapter four, where Jabez is found, verses one and two begin this way. The sons of Judah, Perez, Hezron, Carmi, Hur, and Shobal. Reah, the son of Shobal, fathered Jahath, and Jahath fathered Ahumai and Lahad. These were the clans of the Zorathites. Who's stoked about today's sermon? So if you haven't yet, turn in your Bible with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 10 together today. 1 Chronicles is found in the Old Testament of your Bible. It's right after the book of 2 Kings. And 1 Chronicles comes right before 2 Chronicles. That's right. Probably the easiest way for you to find it is to look in the table of contents in the front of your Bible, which God put there so you could find 1 Chronicles. After 44 names in a row are listed in chapter 4, we come to verse 10, which says, Jabez called upon the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my border, and that your hand might be with me, and that you would keep me from harm so that it might not bring me pain. And God granted what he asked. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this brief prayer from Jabez. I pray as we study it together and learn more about him, you would reveal your character to us, God. And that as we read your words, God, that your voice would be the loudest one that we hear today. Would you speak into our hearts, God? Would you comfort those of us who need it? Encourage us when we're discouraged. Remind us of who you are, God, and who we are because of who you say that we are. We pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Now, the name Jabez might not be that unfamiliar to some of you. It was about 20 years ago that the book of Jabez, or the book called The Prayer of Jabez, was published, and it sold something like 10 million copies. It was quite a sensation. And while it was Wildly popular, it was a little bit controversial too. And maybe even if you've never read that book, The Prayer of Jabez, perhaps you could understand why a book about this prayer could be a little controversial. I mean, is this the kind of prayer that we should pray? Oh God, would you bless me? Would you enlarge my border? Are those the kinds of prayers that God wants us to pray and delights to answer? I mean, it might feel a little selfish. We'll talk a little bit more in detail about the content of Jabez's prayer in a few moments. But let's start by thinking about what we can learn from Jabez and his obscure, brief little prayer. It's the only time in the Bible that the name of Jabez is mentioned. So first, 
Jabez believed that God has the power to answer prayer. I think that's clear in his prayer, that Jabez believed that God has the power to answer prayer. Big prayers. Even able to answer prayer when the odds seem stacked against us. That's how Jabez entered the world with sort of everything against him. See, in the ancient world, your name identified you maybe even more so than it does today. I mean, many of us have names that actually have meaning, but I bet most of us don't know what they actually mean. And when we meet another person and are introduced to them, we don't assume that because they have a certain name, they might be a certain kind of person. But in the ancient world, that's often what would happen. Your name communicated something about you. It could document something about your birth, about your position in your family. When your parents named you in the ancient world, they might even be setting expectations for your life. We could think of just a few of the famous names that we find in the Bible. The name Adam. Adam comes from a root word in Hebrew, which means ground. God formed Adam from the earth when he created him. So the name Adam was like his origin story. Abraham, the founding father of the Hebrew people, had a son in his old age who was named Isaac. And the name Isaac simply means he laughs. And the reason why Isaac was named that was because when Abraham's wife, Sarah, found out that she was going to have a son in her old age, she laughed at God. And so Isaac became was named Isaac. Isaac had twin boys, Esau, which literally means hairy. Esau grew up to be a very hairy man. And the other twin boy was named Jacob. And the name Jacob means he grabs. The scriptures tell us when Jacob was born, he was clutching the heel of his brother Esau. But Jacob's name was more than just an origin story. The name Jacob can also mean he deceives. And later in his life, Jacob tricked his father into receiving his brother's inheritance. So in the ancient world, your name might turn out to be your identity. And we learn in verse 9 of 1 Chronicles what the name Jabez means. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. The name Jabez almost literally means, you're a pain. You were born in pain. You caused pain to your mother when you were born. Pain is a part of your life. It's who you are, Jabez. For Jabez, pain was his identity. Can you imagine living your life under the weight of being called a pain? When you would introduce yourself to someone, they would immediately know, oh, that's the guy, he's a pain. He caused pain, he causes pain, he experiences pain. And yet I think as we look at the prayer of Jabez, we discover that Jabez didn't allow this to define him. He didn't allow his background to determine his destiny. 
but he called on God through prayer to overcome his pain. He said at the end of verse 10 in chapter 4, Oh God, that you would keep me from harm so that it might not bring me pain. And God granted what he asked. When pain is a part of our life, we need to remember that God has the power to answer prayer. Many of us feel pain today because of so many different things. Physical pain, emotional and relational pain, pain over our past, pain because of loss. Could be a job loss. It could be the loss of a loved one. Pain because what we once dreamed for our life never materialized. It never came to be. And perhaps, like Jabez, for some of us, pain has become part of our identity. It's such a normal part of our experience, we can't help but consider that perhaps it's who we are. And in the middle of all that, when we remember that God has the power to answer prayer, we can call upon the name of the Lord, our great and gracious God, to heal us of our pain, to rescue us from it, to bring comfort in our sorrow and to provide strength when we feel weak. And in his time, to allow us to overcome the pain that we may feel today. Now, let's be careful because pain can have a purpose. Sorrow and suffering are a normal part of the Christian experience. And Jesus promised us, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So whether or not God chooses to relieve the pain we feel here and now, he promises one day he will. When he will wipe away every tear, there will be no more sorrow or suffering We will simply be in his presence, free from whatever pain and sorrow and suffering we have experienced here on the earth. Maybe for some of us, it's not pain, but achievement that has become our identity. And it can get wrapped up in things like our job, like I'm a pastor, that's who I am. Or I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm a teacher. I'm an architect. Maybe it's that I'm a mom or a dad, or my identity is that I am a student. Sometimes our identity can be held in future achievements that we just know we're going to accomplish. Someday, I'm going to be a millionaire. That's who I am. Or I'm an athlete. I'm healthy. I'm wealthy. I'm an artist. I'm a musician. So many different things that can become our identity. And our world today is swirling with confusing ideas about identity. We're told that sexual identity is the most important thing about us. And it has become one of the key cultural issues in our day. That who you are is mostly determined by your sexual preferences. Political identity is becoming an increasing part of our personal identity. It used to be perhaps that you just knew when you went to the holiday dinner table that politics was off limits. But now you may or may not be invited to the table based on what you believe politically. 
Churches across our country are becoming divided, not over theology, but over political ideology. Whether or not I believe this, and the pastor does too, determines whether or not I will go there. Political identity is a confusing cultural message about what our true identity is found in. It's not found in sexuality. Our true identity is not found in politics. Our true identity is not found in achievement or pain or failure or any of those things. And I think we see as we look closely at this prayer by Jabez that Jabez knew that his true identity was found not in his past, not in the fact that he caused pain, but his true identity was found in God. We had such a great time at each of our campuses a couple weeks ago during Kids Week, and this was the key theme that we shared with hundreds of kids across our campuses in Boulder and Thornton and Erie, that your true identity is found in God. That each and every person is made in his image. Our key verse was from Psalm 139, verse 14. For you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And God, wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. Every person, everywhere. That is our true identity. I wonder if, like Jabez, any of us might need to overcome some past experiences or release other things that we are allowing to define us. Like, where is your true identity found? If you wore a name tag, maybe instead of your actual name, what would you write on that name tag on your chest? What would you put there? What is your identity rooted in? Is it rooted in the things that the world tells us to base our identity in? Do you think when you think of yourself mostly about your past failures, the pain that you've experienced, the pain that you've caused, the suffering that you're currently in the middle of? Do you look at yourself and think, in the city of Boulder, which is highly accomplished, I can do whatever I want if I put my mind to it. I have achieved so much academically, physically, relationally. What would you fill in there? I want you to know, my friend, that your truest identity is found in Jesus. You are a beloved child of God. No matter what your past experiences are, no matter what your present circumstances are, you are loved by Almighty God. That's who you truly are. And you were created by God for a purpose. That you would know His Son, Jesus. And that you would be a part of the family of God. Our God is great. He is greater than our suffering, greater than our pain, greater than our achievements, greater than any wealth we could possibly imagine. He is great and greatly to be praised. 
So Jabez knew that our great God has the power to answer prayer. And Jabez trusted that God is the source of true blessing. Blessing means receiving favor from God. The kind of goodness and grace that only God has the power to give. Now a blessing is generally passed from someone superior to someone inferior. From someone greater to someone lesser. If you asked your wife's father for a blessing, you asked him to grant you the favor, the blessing of being able to marry his daughter. And he passed that on to you. And Jabez saw himself as needing blessing, favor, help from the one alone who could provide it, God. He said in verse 10, oh God, that you would bless me and enlarge my border. Oh God, that you would bless me. Far too often we seek blessing in the wrong places. Once again, the world tells us to find it in so many different ways. A successful and satisfying career, a new beautiful home, a picture-perfect family, or that we would save our entire life so that one day we can live the blessed life of retirement. And we all know that we'll find true blessing on vacation. Now, all of these things can be blessing. And when and, or if they occur in our life, we should rightly attribute them to God, who is the source of true blessing. But are these things, money and family and success and vacation, are they the true source of eternal, lasting blessing? No. Only God is the source of true blessing. And when we spend our days chasing after lesser things that aren't the source of true blessing, we will all eventually discover that either they don't truly satisfy or that they're gone in an instant. And then what are we left with? Now, I think when Jabez prayed to God to ask for blessing or favor, he asked for two different kinds in his prayer. The first was physical blessing. Physically, he asks God to protect him from his enemies. He says, God, Enlarge my border. Now, in the ancient world, your border was the boundary of the land that you dwelt on. And a larger border meant more protection and safety from any enemies that might be around you who wished to do you harm. And so, when your border or your land increased in size, so too did your safety. It probably goes without saying, but Jabez didn't live in a master plan community with green belts and sidewalks. There were often people who were your enemies who lived in proximity to you, who would literally want to steal your land and take it from you so theirs could enlarge. And the larger Jabez's land, the more he could provide for his family if he was a farmer and keep distance from those who might wish him evil. He goes on even to pray that God would keep him from harm. He prays for physical protection. Asking God for help to provide for our physical needs is one of the ways we ask for his blessing through prayer. So is this a right thing to pray? 
This reminds me actually of the way that the Lord Jesus commanded his disciples to pray when they asked him how they ought to do it. Part of the Lord's prayer is, give us this day, God, our daily bread. That's a physical need. God, help me with what I need to live, food and clothing and housing and provision. God answers prayer. Not all prayers. Often it's that the Lord's timing is different than ours. But when we ask for God's help, he listens. And here at Calvary, prayer in faith is one of our shaping values as a church. We believe that God accomplishes his will through our prayers. And we could spend the rest of the day sharing story after story of the ways that God has answered prayers, both personally here amongst the people in this room and together as a church family. You may know there's been a group of men who have been praying together every Thursday morning at Calvary for about 50 years. Every Thursday. They originally gathered together to pray and ask God if it was his will for us to move from our previous location in Boulder on Broadway and Balsam here to our location on Calmia. And God answered that prayer and we moved here in the early 70s. And over decades and decades of faithful prayer, they've asked God to heal people. They've asked that people might come to salvation. They've prayed for you if you've shared your requests with them. They've prayed for our pastors and staff and elders. They've prayed about whether or not we should begin a campus in Erie, Colorado. Whether or not we should buy a particular piece of property. Whether or not we should build a building there. Whether or not we should start a campus in Thornton, Colorado prayed that God might provide a building to us, and God miraculously gave us a building that we now meet in out there. Countless prayers over decades. We believe that God accomplishes his will through our prayers here at Calvary and on the earth. Jabez believed and knew through experience that God has the power to answer prayer and that God is the source of true blessing. We know that God answered the prayer of Jabez. It says at the end of verse 10, God granted what he asked for. And Jabez prayed for help physically and also for help spiritually. Spiritually, I think Jabez asked that God would bless him when he said, oh, that you would bless me indeed. He didn't seek spiritual blessing by living a good life or assume that he would earn it because he was a good person. But I think Jabez knew that the source of spiritual blessing is found in a relationship with God. He says, oh God, that you would bless me and that your hand might be with me. That's the language of a relationship. Be with me, oh God. Not trying to impress God. Not giving God a list of your accomplishments or trying to earn his favor, but simply receiving it. Receiving spiritual blessing from God as a gift and as the source of true blessing. Now, when most people think of how they relate to God, if they think about that at all, they think about it this way. Am I good enough to earn the favor of God? 
Am I good enough for you, God? That's not how a relationship works. Religion, sure. Did I do the right thing or the wrong thing today? That's religion. But God's purpose for you, my friend, is not that you would be religious, but that you would be in relationship with him. And that relationship is not about what you do or don't do. That relationship is about what Jesus Christ has done for you through his work on the cross. Here's a more familiar verse that maybe you've heard. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. Of all the blessings you can receive in the world, this verse contains the greatest blessings of them all. First of all, that God loves you. If you're not sure whether that's true, if you don't think that God loves you, I want you to read this verse closely. For God so loved the world. That's pretty universal, all-encompassing. I'm confident that the love of God extends to you. Everyone, everywhere, throughout all time, God loves the world. And secondly, we see that God gave you his son, his only son, Jesus. The name Jesus means something too. It means we're told in Luke 2, he shall save his people from their sins. And that's the blessing, my friends, we need more than any other. The blessing of salvation, freely offered to us through the Son of God, Jesus. And all you have to do, according to this verse, is believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus. God loves you. God gave you his Son. Do you believe this? It requires a humble assessment of ourselves to believe we need to be saved by someone other than us. To ask God for spiritual help. And if you've never asked God before today for help spiritually, he loves to answer those prayers. I'd invite you to ask him right now. Humbly, God, will you save me? Through your son, Jesus. That's all it takes. And when we trust that God is the source of true blessing and believe that God has the power to answer prayer and we ask God through prayer to bless us with salvation, here's maybe the best blessing of all. Jesus tells us that our names are written in heaven. In the second part of verse 20 of Luke 10, after Jesus had sent his disciples out to cast out demons and share the love of Christ with people, he said this, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. They had come back all excited about their success after casting out some demons. Some of them were a little disappointed because they hadn't had the success that they had hoped for. Many of them were so happy they could do some of the miraculous things they had seen Jesus do. And those are blessings indeed. But Jesus reminded them 
that the greatest blessing of all is not found in earthly accomplishments, even if they're great, even if they're in the name of Jesus, but the greatest blessing of all is to have your name written in heaven. If you'd like to talk more about that, I'd love to meet you after the service. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we bless you for your free offer to us of salvation. I pray for any friend who's here today who does not yet know you. Lord Jesus, would you, by the power of your spirit, reveal yourself to them. Speak truth into their heart about their true identity as a beloved child of God. And reveal to them that you came from heaven to earth to save them by dying on a cross. And I pray, God, for any soul in this room struggling with identity. Would you remind them of who they truly are? A beloved child of God. If they've called on the name of the Lord Jesus for salvation, they are a part of the family of God. That's their true identity. Not an identity of pain or rejection or sorrow or failure. Not an identity of achievement or success but a part of the family of God. We thank you, God, for the blessings that you have given to us. It's our joy now to worship you and bless your holy name because of who you are and all that you have done. We pray all this in the powerful name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.